Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. I was thinking uh, this week about the worst car trip I've ever had. I wonder what your worst trip, (laughs) what your worst trip would be. There's a couple for me, but I was thinking of one in particular, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I was thinking about this, but uh, I was a sophomore in college. I just finished my sophomore year. And so I was on a a summer ministry team at Eastern Nazarene College. That's where I attended school and graduated uh, Quincy, Massachusetts, a place I love, uh, a wonderful time of my life. But I got selected to be on a summer ministry team, which meant me and three other college students my age, we were tasked with traveling in a van all up and down the East Coast. So uh, we went to a dozen or more churches. We helped lead two vacation Bible schools, and we had eight consecutive weeks of teen camp. One consecutive week of teen camp is a lot. Let me tell you, eight consecutive weeks. Just suffice it to say at the end of that summer, I was exhausted physically, emotionally, mentally. And now we have been the same four, on top of that, you're tired, but the same four people are with each other all summer long. And I'm just here to say, I know they were tired of me and I was just a little bit tired of being with them. We were ready for some other people in our lives, right? And so the last drive of the summer, we finished our last week of camp in Maryland. We had to make one more trip all the way back up to the campus of Quincy, Massachusetts. And then I was free. I was done. The problem was, again, we're in this 15 passenger van and I can't drive. Now I I was capable of driving, but there's only two of us that were on the insurance for the school. So I could not drive the van. And if I was driving the van, we would have gone pedal to the floor. We're not using the bathroom. We're not stopping for food. We're going, you know, we're going, but, but I, I wasn't in that position. And so instead I did the cowardly thing. I sat in the back seat, wrapped up with a blanket, laid on the floor and slept until we crossed the Massachusetts border. I was ready to get home. I was ready to be done with that. I wonder what your worst trip is. Maybe for some of you, when you think of a difficult trip, you think of traffic, a flight delay, lost luggage, kids screaming in the backseat, are we there yet? Every one of us has a story, don't we, of a trip that maybe was not our best, was not our favorite. Uh, and while I've had my fair share of long journeys, I could tell you more, uh, here's the truth. I love to journey. I love to travel. I really do. Even with four kids, and traveling with four kids feels like you're the traveling circus. Even then, I love to travel. I really do. For me, the journey, this is something I'm learning about myself, and I I believe there's a few others in the room. Not everybody, but I believe there's a few others in the room that would testify to this. The, The journey to the destination is always more exciting for me than the journey from the destination. Let me explain. On the way to vacation, 
You're excited because it's vacation, <laughs> and it's going to be a whole week, and it's going to be great, and you've got the expectations, and you're done. You're, you don't have to think about work, or you don't have to think about whatever you got to do at home, right? You're free. You're going, you're going to the beach. But then on the way back, you got to unpack. We don't have anything to eat at home. we got to go back to work. We have responsibilities now, right? The trip home is never as exciting as the trip there. As a kid, I used to think about this on the way home. We would go to Myrtle Beach as a kid, and I would be like almost crying in the backseat thinking, I wish I could go back to the beginning of the week and enjoy it more, savor it more, cherish those moments more, because that journey to the destination for me was always more exciting than the journey from the destination. Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, just raise your hand so I know I'm not alone. There's a few of, thank you. Thank you for having the courage. The rest of you, I see your judgmental glances. You just like to be home. I get it. But here's the reality. The journey is beautiful. It is for me. It's beautiful. And look, I, I get that. I am one of those people. Sometimes I like to get there, make good time. I get that. But at the same time, the joy, the anticipation of the journey for me is something I resonate with deeply. And so today, church family, I say all of that because today we're beginning a journey. <laughs> And I, I really think when it's all said and done, it'll be a good journey. It's not going to be one that you write about later as, as a painful or a hard or a difficult one. This is going to be a good journey because for the next nine weeks, we're going to study the book of Philippians together. The book of Philippians, uh, once a year as a church family, we want to do this. We want to camp out in a particular passage, a particular book uh, of Scripture, and we want to stay there. We want to take our time there because we believe there's a lot to be learned along the journey. We believe that there's a lot to grow along the journey. And so we're not in a hurry. We're going to take our time along the journey, and we believe there's going to be incredible fruit and joy that the Lord, uh, a lot that he wants to teach us along the journey. So today, let's begin. We're going to begin the journey of Philippians. Here's what you need to know about Philippians. Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote this letter uh, from jail. He was in a Roman jail cell about the year 60 A.D., the Romans had captured the city of Philippi. That's where the letter Philippians is written to, the church in Philippi. And that city had been captured in 168 BC. Uh, so Octavian turned it into this Roman colony. It was a military outpost, which meant now, as Paul's writing many years later, there's retired military. There's this military presence there. And, and Philippi is known for its patriotic nationalism. So there was this idea that Caesar, Caesar was not just king, he, he was even considered Lord, a deity. And so you can see the challenge now as the church is facing this opposition. They believe and they're declaring that Jesus is Lord in the face of many that would say, no, 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 not, not Jesus, Caesar. Caesar is Lord. He, he is our God. And so the church at Philippi faces some resistance, but yet in the midst of opposition, this is a vibrant community of faith. Here's one of the unique things about uh, the book of Philippians, and as we study it, you'll realize this book is unusual because Paul's not writing to correct. He's not writing to rebuke. He's not writing saying, don't make me come over there, right? He's really writing a letter of thanks, of joy, because of their partnership and support in the gospel. Really, what Philippians is, is this. It's a series of seven different essays. And if there's seven different essays, the one in the exact middle of those seven is this really beautiful uh, central poem. It's found in Philippians 2, starting in verse 6. And we'll get there in a couple weeks. But suffice it to say that this central text in the middle of Philippians is this uh, beautiful retelling of the messianic incarnation. 
It's about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's a beautiful artistic retelling of the gospel. So so I want you to see this again in Philippians, in the middle of this, not a long letter, right? In the middle of this letter, right there in the middle is this proclamation and celebration and exclamation, exaltation of Christ. Christ is literally the center of this letter, of this book. And that's why we've entitled this series, Living the Jesus Life. That's really what this letter is about. It's about understanding the importance, not just of believing in Christ and and what he has said and what he has done, but living that reality out. And we believe this is not just relevant for a church in Philippi generations ago. No, we believe that this is relevant for us today, living the Jesus life today in 2023. So we know that Christ is literally the center of this letter, right? So it won't surprise you today as we dive into the first 11 verses that Christ is mentioned seven different times. That's a theme in this letter. Christ is the center. He is the focus in Christ alone, as we just sang, right? So let's begin now. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, in case you're wondering over the next nine weeks, what are we going to be looking at today? What scripture are we going to be at? The answer is Philippians. So turn there with me now. Get your Bible all ready. Uh, get your bookmark ready. This is where we're going to be camped out. And so we're going to begin in verse 1 of Philippians 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. I'm going to emphasize a few words here at the beginning. They're servants of Christ to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So right here in the beginning, we see Christ. And what do we see? We see uh, Paul and Timothy. Paul is writing along with his friend, his uh, compadre, right, Timothy. They're servants of Christ. They're writing to those who are in Christ And they're speaking of this grace and peace available from Christ. So again, we see Christ all over the pages, all over uh, this letter. And now we begin with this beautiful greeting and this blessing. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, he's in jail as he's writing this, right? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of, here it is again, Christ Jesus. So Paul is in prison, but even in prison, he's confident God has a plan. He's confident God is working, not just in him and through him, but in those at the church at Philippi, those that he's writing to, he's confident that the Lord is at work. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Just a beautiful, a beautiful introduction to this letter. And you can tell this is someone, Paul, who has a lot of affection for the people he's writing, writing to. And I got, I got all the way through the first eight verses because I really want us to camp out now in verses 9 through 11. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning. So so look at this prayer. He says this in verse 9. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. The prayer could end right there because that's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? 
He's praying, he's praying that their love, he's already experienced their love. He's been a benefactor of that, of their generosity, of their hospitality, of their love. But he's praying that their love would grow more and more in, in the knowledge of Christ and in this depth, that their, their love would have a depth to it. It's a beautiful prayer, but it doesn't end there, does it? He keeps going. So that, I, I pray that your love may grow and, and be deeper, so that, verse 10, you may be able to discern what is best. You can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So, so I'm praying that you would have this love that's deep so that in order that you can discern that this love would help you have discernment in these days. Why? So that you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Again, he could end there and we probably would be left wondering, well, how in the world can we be pure and blameless? Good news for us. There's one more verse. There's one more uh, sentence here in, in this beautiful prayer. Verse 10, so they be able to discern what's best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. How do we do that? How can we be blameless? Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what he's saying, that your love grows, and as it grows in wisdom, and as it grows in depth, and this is a, a discerning love, but this idea of pure and blameless, what is he saying? Paul is saying, you are pure and blameless when you are filled with the fruit of righteousness. How, how do we get that? Where does it come from? It comes only through Christ. You are pure and blameless as you are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ. Living the Jesus life means being filled with his righteousness. His righteousness. That word righteousness, that's kind of a, a biblical word, right? It's probably not a word that you bust out all the time in your day-to-day -day conversation. What does that mean? Righteousness, it, it literally means right standing, to be right standing. So righteousness before God is in right standing with God. And since Paul is kind of building one verse on top of, of each other, let's take a, a few moments to consider this idea of the, of the righteousness of God. God's righteousness. In a minute... We're going to talk about the opposite of that. We'll talk about self-righteousness, but let's begin first to talk about God's righteousness. And I want, to, I want to share with you three very simple things. It's not everything. We, we don't have time today to cover everything about God's righteousness. But I, I think these three things will really help us understand the, the nature of what Paul is writing about to the church in Philippi. First, God's righteousness, number one, is not earned. It's really important that you know that today as we're talking about this righteousness from God. You can't earn this. You can't. There's not enough you can do. Because as soon as we talk about this idea of righteousness, being in right standing with God, immediately, some of us in the room, that's where we go. We go there. We start thinking about uh, what we can do to measure up. We start thinking about, well, I'm not there yet. How do I get there? How do I get to that level where I'm considered righteous, where I'm, I'm in right relationship and right standing with God? And so immediately what we start doing is we start thinking, I've got to work harder. I've got to do more. I'm not doing enough. Look at all the things I'm doing. And if I would just do more, if I could do more for the Lord, if I could do more at the church, if I could do more good things, then I, I could get to that level where I could be righteous. But the truth is, the truth is living that way is, is a life destined for frustration, for bondage, even for legalism. Because the truth is you will never do enough. Listen to me. You will never do enough to measure up to God's righteousness. Never. 
That sounds kind of like a bummer, doesn't it? But stay with me. But it's a truth that we need to know. We, we will never do enough in our strength and in our power and in our, our righteousness to measure up to God's perfect standard. In fact, that kind of righteousness, it's, it's not only short of God's standard. In Isaiah 64, we read that, that it stinks to him. It's, it's, it's deplorable to him, that, that sort of self-righteousness. And while this sounds like a downer, it's actually really freeing because it's true that you can't earn this, but it's also true that you don't have to. You don't have to earn God's righteousness. You don't. Well, you're saying, well, if I, if I can't earn it, the next question is, what does it cost? Come on. What's the deal here, God? Well, number two, I want you to know that God's righteousness is not bought. Just as it's not earned, God's righteousness can't be bought. It doesn't cost you anything, but it costs Jesus everything. That's the truth of God's righteousness, and it's really important that it can't be bought. It's given through an exchange. It's given through an incredible exchange, an exchange that seems too good, too good to be true. To demonstrate this, and the best way I know how, I have a picture on the screen of a 1955 Mercedes-Benz. Some of you are getting more blessed by this picture than you did in all of worship. We'll talk about that later. We can pray about that together, right? Um, most of you know I know no- nothing about cars. I can't fake it. I can't pretend. But I know something about this car. 1955 Mercedes-Benz. This car set the record the biggest amount anyone ever paid at auction for a vehicle. It, it was 10 years ago now in London. It was sold for $135 million. That car right there. I, I just want a car that works, so I, I don't understand. But, okay, it exceeded the record. It broke the record by $95 million. It, it wasn't even close. Second place isn't close. It shattered the record. The previous record for the most expensive car ever bought at auction, and it still to this day holds that record. Why in the world do I show you that? Just Some of you just make sure you're paying attention. You're getting blessed by a 1955 Mercedes-Benz. I want you to imagine, this is a terrible analogy, but I think, it, I think it's good. I think it'll help us. If God's righteousness is that car, we make the mistake of thinking, well, if I, if I could come up with $135 million, I could buy it. That misses the point. It misses the point entirely. Because not only could you never come up with enough to pay that, it's not for sale in the first place. You think the guy that bought that would say, well, if you gave me $135 million and $1, it can be yours. No way. Pay $95 million more than any other car had ever sold. That, that car's not for sale. It doesn't matter how much money you think you come up with. It's not for sale in the first place. It's beyond reach. And that's that's God's righteousness. It's beyond reach, apart from Christ. There's not no, ever amount you could try to pay that would even come close, and it's not for sale anyway. He bought, Jesus Christ bought that righteousness with his blood. In fact, you can say it was a trade. So how, how do we receive this righteousness? If we, can't, if we can't earn it and we can't pay for it, how do we earn it? How, how do we get it? How do we achieve it? How do we find it? How do we receive his righteousness? We don't earn it. We don't pay for it. Well, the truth is we trade. We trade our sin in our brokenness, in our past, in our bitter disappointments. We trade those things. In fact, Christ 
takes those willingly from us. We have to surrender to him. We have to allow him. But, but when we allow him, he takes those willingly from us. This is what Paul writes later to a different church in Corinth. He writes these words. He writes that Jesus became our sin. Not, not even, this idea of an exchange is good, but it's, it's that literally on the cross, Jesus Christ became our sin. He, he didn't just exchange, take our sin. He literally took all of the sin, all of our sin upon himself. He became our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what he did for us. He became our sin. The sinless and perfect son of God became our sin. The broken, the messed up things that you've done, the selfish things from your past, the mistakes, the regrets, the things you would never want to do. He took all of that upon himself on the cross. And so what is this exchange? Our sin exchanged for his righteousness. Some of you are like, that doesn't seem fair. (laughs) You're right. It wasn't. That seems too good to be true. The truth is found in the word that we, all we have to do is be willing to surrender our, our sin. And we can receive in exchange his righteousness. This righteousness is only found in Christ through the cross. Listen, church, you are declared righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. There's no other reason. And that's why Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he says that you can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through. He he could say only through, right? That comes through Jesus Christ because this righteousness, the righteousness of God, it's only available through Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way that we can receive his righteousness. So what's the third thing? The first thing is that God's righteousness is not earned. God's righteousness is not bought. But the third thing, I want you to know that God's righteousness is not temporary. It is not temporary. Listen, God's declaration over you is not temporary. Again, I'm talking about things this morning that I have no reason to talk about because the law, the legality, I don't know. I don't know much, but I know in a legal courtroom, When a case is dismissed, sometimes it's dismissed with prejudice. And that word prejudice means a whole lot to us in every other domain. But in the courtroom, what that means, if something is dismissed with prejudice, it's a legal term, meaning the case is dismissed forever. That issue is over and done with once and for all. There can be no more rebuttals. There can be no more returns. There can be no more objections. It's done. And church family, I'm here to tell you, When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are declared righteous. The case of sin against you is dismissed. The enemy can't bring that up again. He can't say, well, remember when you did. What happens when you did? Because of the blood of Jesus, the score has been settled. (laughs) It's case closed. It's done. It's been dismissed. The enemy can't throw your past at you anymore. Why? Because you're declared righteous Because of Jesus Christ. We don't live our lives seeking to be more righteous. If we're in Christ, we are. It's his righteousness. We simply just walk a surrendered life in step with his spirit. Here's the problem. The problem is that many of us 
are seeking a form of righteousness on our own apart from Christ. We're seeking a form of self-righteousness. Maybe we pick and choose some of this, but ultimately it's about us and our deeds and how good we are and how kind we are and how generous we are and how moral we can be and how many people we can help and how many, how many things we can stack up to say, look at what I've done and what I've accomplished. It's like trying to come up with $135 million to buy something that's not even for sale. Maybe once you believed that that was true, that righteousness alone was found in Christ. Maybe once that was true, but life has a way of getting busy, or we get off, off track, or we start focusing on other things, and soon we make it about something that it's not intended to be. We make it about a form of self-righteousness. Some of us struggle as we went through our series uh, throughout the month of April, and we were talking about uh, pictures in the story. We talked about Zacchaeus, right? The worst of the worst, the most hated man in all Judea. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And that bothers some of us, right? It bothers some of us that Jesus would forgive and accept someone like that. Whenever I have those kind of feelings, I have to look in the mirror and say, Lord, forgive me when self-righteousness starts to creep in. When I start to feel like I'm justified because of all the years I've served you and all the things I've done and all the, Lord, forgive me. That's, that's not the gospel at all. The gospel is a righteousness that's only found through Christ. On the screen, I want you to see this truth that self-righteousness isn't righteousness at all. It's not. Only that which is found through Jesus Christ. This is not just any righteousness. Paul's careful to add the descriptor, righteousness, right standing relationship with God himself. It's only available through Christ. Joyce Meyer, an author and speaker, she says these words. I think they're spot on for us today. She says this, every person who confesses that Christ Jesus is Lord, repents of their sin, and gives their heart to God is a child of God. They belong to him. And in Christ, we are made right with God. We are his righteousness, and we have the power of Christ to live the right way. Sounds a lot like the title of our series, Living the Jesus Life. It's only made possible through his righteousness. And his righteousness is only made possible because of Christ. That we exchange our sin and our brokenness and our, our selfishness for his righteousness. I want you to think about what it would be like to have perfect parents. Maybe there's a perfect parent in the room. We won't ask you to raise your hand, but good for you. Uh, but I want you to think about what it would be like to have perfect parents. Now, some of you in the room, you were blessed with incredible, godly, loving, generous parents. And, and that has been a blessing to you in your life. Some of you, though, that concept, the topic of parents, hard for you. Maybe there's been some brokenness. Maybe there's been um, some pain in your relationships. But I want you to think about what it would be like. What it would be like to have the perfect parent. Think about that today. The perfect father. What's he like? He's loving and he's kind and he's encouraging. He's dependable. He's there when he says he's going to be there, right? Whatever those characteristics would be. Think about that. And the truth is, it wouldn't help you that much if that perfect father was your friend down the street 
or your coworker, or that perfect father was some celebrity's father somewhere, right? That wouldn't, that wouldn't really help you. It would only matter to you if somehow he could be your father. He could be your father. If you were the one being held safe in the arms of that perfect father. Maybe that's the best illustration we have of righteousness bought by Christ. Right relationship with God, that we don't deserve a father like that, but because Jesus Christ became our sin, we have become the righteousness of God, and now that perfect father becomes ours. That perfect father becomes ours. The band is going to come, and they're going to help us today. I believe there's two uh, groups of people here today that are going to respond, and we're going to respond in a minute through prayer and through worship. I believe there's two groups of people here today. I believe there's some of us in the room that, if we're honest, we've made it too much about self-righteousness. We've allowed self-righteousness to creep in and and, and become something that the gospel was never intended to be. And some of us today need to hear the loving voice the, the, the Holy Spirit's whisper in today in response to the word. We, we need to pray and say, Lord, I, I want righteousness. Righteousness is only available because of Christ. And today I, I turn from self-righteousness and I turn towards your righteousness for me. There's another group here today where maybe as I'm reading and as you're reading Paul's words, your heart is overflowing with gratitude at the incredible gift that's been given to you, the incredible exchange. Maybe you've made that exchange, and maybe as we're reading and as we're talking, your heart is overflowing with joy, overflowing with gratitude that the perfect father would call you, he would call you his. <laughs> he would say, you're my child. And today, as I'm reading, you're just, you're just thinking, this is incredible, and this is good. And so today, in response to that, you just want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, perfect, holy Father, that I can call you mine. That you can be my Father and I can belong to you. Thank you that you would take my sin and exchange it for your righteousness. So I think there's two groups of people today. Group number one, those that it's not right in your heart. It's not right in your life. And maybe nobody would know, but you've allowed it to become something that it was never intended to be. You've allowed it to become a righteousness built on self. And today... You, you, want, you want to repent from that. You want to turn from that, and you want to turn towards him. Or, or, or group number two today, you just want to celebrate. You want to thank the Lord. You want to praise him for his incredible gift. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet now. Would you stand, church, as we prepare to respond? And I'm going to invite you to bow your head. Would you do that with me? Would you close your eyes? Would you help remove distraction as we just give the Lord permission to speak to us, as we give his spirit permission to move in our hearts? We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want to respond in obedience. And so today, how will you respond in obedience? I love the words to the song we're about to sing. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you to hear these words. They're not, these aren't new. We've, we've sung these words before. But I think these are a beautiful response today. No matter which group you find yourself in today, I think this is a beautiful response. The words that we're about to sing say this, you love me, Lord, you love me with no reservations. 
you're not looking for perfection and there's no need in me pretending because I'll give you everything, Lord. I'll give you everything. Lord, you deserve my full attention. You deserve nothing less than my devotion. Speak to me, Lord, and I will listen. I'll give you everything. You can have my heart. You can have my heart. And so today, church family, I'm going to pray. But if you're in that first group today, as we sing these words and as we pray, make these words the cry of your heart. God, you can have my heart. I don't want to give you my deeds. I don't want to give you my actions. I don't want to give you morality. Trying to accomplish a checklist of do good things to somehow earn your love and your righteousness. God, I repent from that. And I give you my heart. I give you my heart. But if you're in group number two today, and as you're reading these words, your heart are overflowing as we worship, I want you to worship. I want you to thank the Lord for the great exchange that he's made in your life. I want you to sing these words as a testimony. Oh, Lord, you have my heart. Oh, Lord, you have my heart. So whatever group you find yourselves in, let this song be a commitment, a recommitment. Lord, you hear us and you know us and your spirit is here and you're speaking. Your kindness leads us to repentance today. And so we ask through the power of your spirit that you would just show us, Lord, in love where we stand today. If we stand in right relationship with you, not based on our deeds, not based on our works, but in faith in Christ alone. And so today, if that's not the story of our life, if that's not the story of our journey today, we turn from that and we turn to you. We make that great exchange, our sin in exchange for your righteousness. And Lord, today, if we're here in the room and that's, that's our story, that's our testimony, we're going to praise you. We're going to lift up our praises now because you're worthy. As we're here, and Lord, we think this is, this is incredible that a perfect father would call me his child. And that's true today only because of Christ, only through Christ. And so as we sing these words, we're going to worship you because you're worthy of it. And we thank you and we praise you. Come now, Holy Spirit, speak to us and move in our hearts as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.